0: Big shout out to Century.io and to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week's episode of Does Not Compute. Guys, your code's broken. It's okay. You can admit it. Century.io fully accepts this fact, and they just want to help you fix it. You could catch errors in your code by having a test suite, but you know you're going to miss edge cases, a user's going to do something stupid, and it's going to fall through the cracks, and you're going to get a crash. Then you're going to get an error report from the user, and it's going to be incomplete. You're not going to have all the details. You're not going to know the context of the error, and the user's going to have a bad experience. Or you could add Sentry to your app. You'll get a detailed contextual information for every single crash. you get a stack trace. you get the git commit where that error occurred, and even the developer who checked it in, so you can point the finger. You can even hook it up with your individual releases of your application. You can tell which user caused the error, and you can do a custom breadcrumb trail, which tells everything that the user did leading up to the error. Sentry even integrates with the deployment pipeline, so some errors won't even make it to production. They have great library support for many client and server platforms, like a couple of DNC favorites, Vue.js, Rails, and Elixir. So head on over to Sentry.io and give it a try. There's a free developer account, which is perfect for personal projects and early stage applications. Century.io, your code is broken. Let's fix it together.
1: Hold on, the printer just started going off. <laughs> it's dead silent until you have to record.
0: HP LaserJet for life, away. You know what? I've got an HP LaserJet model ten twelve that. I, uh, this is actually the second one that I've owned only because like, I think my mom had one and then I moved, like I went to college and so I had to get one for myself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then at some point I, I, I found a, another, like a successor model to it, uh, as like the display model at Staples Mm -hmm. for like a ridiculous price. So I, and it had, uh, you know, Wi-Fi printing or whatever uh so i got that because i thought it would be cool if i could air print from ios and do all that stuff and uh yeah it's a piece of garbage like never never reliably connects to the wi-fi mac os sometimes sees it as just a scanner so like it can't even print to it and i uh, man and it doesn't automatically like if the power goes off and comes back on it doesn't stay on like it doesn't automatically power back on which is the most useless feature in a network attached printer like you need it to just
1: be on yeah the money is on the ink for printers
0: well it's a thing so it's like it's a laser jet right and so it's like you just you're just paying for toner which is way more economical in my mind sure and uh, so I, I I put that that stupid Wi-Fi laser jet on the shelf and I put my old HP laser jet 1012 10, 1012 10, whatever. Uh, back in here. And guess what? It's slow, but I put a third-party toner cartridge in it for about a third of the price. And the thing is still freaking churned away. Bulletproof. I love it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I used to sell printers in college because oh, I no. worked at an Office Max. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I worked at an Office Max in college and people, the printers were the worst. Uh, nobody really wanted to work in that area, like that section of the store, because... Customers would come in and they would just be so mad. They would yell at you because ink was so expensive. And I would always say, Well, I don't have have any control over how much this ink costs. uh, So you can't, like, don't yell at me. But they would still, they would just yell at me all the time. And people would come in and uh, instead of buying ink, they would just toss their old printer and they would buy a new printer because it comes with like half cartridge full of ink or something. And uh, sometimes it ended up being cheaper depending on the type of ink they needed to purchase.
0: Yeah, that's, I've heard of that being a thing. I know people who have done that. The economics of that are insane to me and just the, the impact on the environment at all.
1: Yep. Yep. It's sad. It's not good. So don't do that. People don't be throwing away your appliances because you need to buy ink. So, uh, what have you been up to? I feel like we, I mean, I say this, uh, a bunch now, but we really don't talk much during the week anymore.
0: (laughs) You know, that's really funny. Uh, it's kind of testament to us hitting our strides, I guess. It's probably a good thing.
1: Well, speak for yourself.
0: <laughs> oh man, I, I uh, if I sound a little tired, I just woke up from an hour plus nap after surviving today.
1: Surviving? What do you mean, surviving today?
0: Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, today was a very, very stressful day for a number of reasons, but the uh, biggest of which was that I finally uh, was able to launch in production. Uh, Remote Time Radio Console 2.0, as we call it, the mm. the long-developed uh, Nuxt Vue.js replacement to a jQuery spaghetti code pile of garbage that was there previously. And uh, y- you know what? All things said and done, it went about as smoothly as I could have hoped.
1: About as smoothly as you could have hoped. Were you hoping for something like super smooth, or did you not get your hopes up much? How smooth was it?
0: No, I mean it, it could have gone terribly. So, I mean, it didn't.
1: It. I got you. I got you. From
0: from a technical standpoint, I mean, I, I uh, it was actually fairly easy to launch in this in the sense that like basically the old site was just a, a static page served up on a on a Rails controller. Uh, again, all jQuery, you know, whatever JS and, uh, yeah, I just set it up. So that page would just do a redirect to the new URL. Mm -hmm. And then I just forced a refresh on everyone who was actually connected. It was about 40 people who were connected at the time when I did the migration this morning. And, uh, yeah, I just, I did the latest deploy to master on Netlify for the next app, uh, which we've, you know, been using internally for, you know, many months now just using it and, getting it stable and forced refresh on the users. They reloaded the pages. It did the redirect and it logged them in. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was actually pretty, pretty seamless. And it was able to handle, handle the, the load of us big influx of users. So that, that was, that was nice.
1: <laughs> That's pretty cool. So I actually just signed up for RHR. Oh yeah. I'm in the console. I had no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I just got the notification for the trial. I don't know what I'm doing, but this is cool. I do see the Nuxt icon lit up in my Chrome uh, DevTools. That's so funny. <laughs> Any anyhow, yeah, that's that's good that it went that smoothly. And Netlify seems to be working out pretty well for you, right?
0: Yeah, it was great. And what I actually do is I have a—I think I mentioned this before in a previous episode—but I have a Netlify has a nice little API where you can kind of figure out which what's uh, deployed in production, and so I uh, you know just metadata about the current. Mm application or whatever so uh yeah i have on the on the phoenix side of things i have a little gen server that just every minute or so it pulls an at-fly api and says hey do we have a new uh release and if there is it just pushes a notification out to the clients it says hey you got a new release and the clients show a little banner and says hey there's a new version available you know reload to update and it just refreshes the page and gets the latest version so that's it's actually like really powerful because mm-hmm. it enables me to push changes quickly and without fear that like people are going to be running the old version for a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's really, really empowering to be able to know that as soon as you all use you get push Netlify does the build deploys it. The users get notified and like, I don't have to do anything. I just have to sit there and wait for the notification to come in and hit refresh just like any other user. Right. Yeah. That's nice. It's, that's uh that's pretty cool uh it's kind of the feeling was very anticlimactic i guess like again i've been staring at this thing for months and uh letting it out into the wild seems like like a non-event yeah like it's it's not so much better that it's gonna be a like a sea change for people At least not right now i tried to actually make it as similar to the old version as possible (laughs) to kind of mitigate any, you know, change is bad uh, kind of feedback.
1: Right. Yeah. that. Yeah. Did you get any of that kind of feedback?
0: Not really. Uh, some people, it was kind of implied, like there were undertones, like, oh, I've been using this for day to day and suddenly you you pushed an update without telling us about it or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but in the end, like I've just been staying on top of the tickets all day, which is really what it came down to was just managing the flow of, you know, you're, you're going to expect a higher volume of people not being able to find things, or trying to set things up, or things not working uh, in the real world. So, just uh, dealing with that and uh, kind of it puts a damper on it. You know, like you, you know, mentally you can say, okay, I know people are going to. This is a this is a big change. This is the main part of our application, and like it's a big. This is it's been essentially unchanged since we launched in I don't know 2012 or so, right? So it's going to be upsetting for people and you have to expect that but it still doesn't make it any easier on my end to like i still have to deal with it i still have to take the feedback I still have the process it. i still have to cope with the fact that like okay like these are there's still problems with it you know because we haven't had we did do a beta test but not with the same you know volume of users that are actually using it
1: right well i mean that's yeah i mean it sounds like you went as well as it can be you know, as well as can be expected in, in that scenario. You didn't get a flood of people saying to put it back, you know, change it back. I don't want this. Uh, so thanks. Congrats. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you mention it's kind of anticlimactic because I know exactly what you mean when you say that you work on something for a long time and then you launch it and you're like, okay, what now?
0: (laughs) Yeah. The, the issues list is only growing longer,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, still congrats on, on shipping that. Um, I think when, like when we met, you had been talking about how you, and I think we've even talked a few times on the show, how you've been wanting to, you know, there's some few things that you've been wanting to redo and it, it's hard to actually get something out the door into production. So this is, seems like a pretty big, and this is a rewrite, you know, on top of that. So uh, pretty big deal.
0: Yeah. And so just for a frame of reference is my initial commit for this repo was September 2018. So about six months ago, may, maybe coming up on seven months uh, obviously working on other things in between to, you know, but to be able to take what we had and turn it on its head. And like, again, I'm sure I mentioned this before, like it's already better. Like I was able to take the feedback from the people, uh, there was one feature, for example, like there was a setting that, uh, people had trouble finding, right? So I just added a buddy button for the setting and I redeployed. Uh, and, and, you know, people have the latest thing. So hopefully that will stem that tide of tickets and people will be able to find stuff. And I just did that, you know, like it was nothing good c- because, uh, so the, the workflow is now so streamed on, I can just, I can just do that because of the tooling. So that's going to be, that's just going to be the big win.
1: Yeah. That, that is really nice. I mean, we kind of have something similar because of Heroku. So we just kind of get push and then, uh, we just have it set up with, with PRs. So Merging into develop launches, the deploys the staging, merging into master deploys production. So on any given day, I'll merge a PR into develop, make a release PR. That's we, we kind of do these things called like, I don't know if it's like a thing. I'm sure it's probably a thing, but we just make a release PR that has like a timestamp as the name and then a list of features, enhancements, fixes, et cetera. Um, and then those end up getting copied over to the actual release notes. But, uh, yeah, so we just make a PR against master and then about five minutes later, it's on production.
0: Oh, you make the PR immediately before release? Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Cause with the, the, like making a release doesn't deploy to production, uh, merging in a master deploys into production. Sure. Sure.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And then when we make a release, it just goes into a channel in Slack, uh, right now it just goes into like the team channel. So everyone can see when a release goes out and they can see the release notes that we put in it, you know, like what's changed, what's updated, what's been fixed, et cetera. And most of the time they know at a time, what's going to be in there because we've discussed it on calls or in different Slack channels, but it's just, just, a kind of a time capsule. Uh, it's a nice place. I mean, we could go through and look at closed PRs, but the release, the releases tab or page, uh, is perfect for that. You hit that and you can kind of like scroll back in time and see what's changing.
0: That's nice. Yeah. I just use uh Git flow, the Git flow plugin for Git basically, which uh, Atlassian, 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 <laughs> Atlassian,
1: <laughs> Atlassian. I've never said it out loud. Not a single time in my life. The people who make, Oh God, whatever. Bitbucket. Bitbucket.
0: <laughs> uh, I use source tree for my, that's my Git client and that has Git flow built into it. So I just use that. I have a develop branch, a release branch, um, or excuse me, master branch. And then, yeah, you can do release branches as well. Although I almost never yeah, really have a need to do that. because It's just me. So I just basically merge into master and, uh, yeah, I use for versioning. Like you said, I just use a, the date with the, with a suffix or you just do a b c d if i have to do multiple deploys (laughs) on a that's exactly what we do yeah i mean it's listen for for this kind of thing where it's like you don't need semantic versioning for this like you own the client you own the server you know what state things are in uh you don't want to be like have to figure out like is this a is this just a bug release fix is this a you know, is this a major or minor or vision fix? No, just put the date in there. It just just deploy it. It's a it's a mm-hmm. the web application is a is a uh what do they call it? It's like um an infinite version or something, right?
1: I've never heard that, I don't think. Infinite version.
0: Not infinite version. There there's another term for it that, that describes like the Chrome browser, how it like automatically updates and like you never know what version you're on because it's always uh progressing.
1: The infinite version, a blog post by coding horror.
0: Oh really? Oh no! Don't reference yeah, that.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> is that what it is? That was the first one. The first blog post that came up. I get. What, I get what you're saying, though. It's, it's just kind of updates, and there's not. Oh no, that's totally what it's called. <laughs> I was just making that is up, it,
0: but yeah, that's that's what I was referring to.
1: Uh, well, here's a question. Your your uh, date stamps. Do you do date stamps. I'm assuming you don't do time stamps, right? No, correct. Just the date. So so what date? Like what um, format do I use? No, not my format. Um, there's one format that you should be using, and I assume that you already use the correct version or the correct format.
0: ISO 8601.
1: Yes, that's the correct format. Uh, but say, say it's like late at night, and you're doing a release, uh, you shouldn't be doing that. But if you did, towards the end of the day, uh, do you, what time zone do you respect oh. in terms of <laughs> the date stamp? Um, because the version
0: number is essentially arbitrary. And it's basically whatever's most convenient for when I'm looking at things to try to find things. I'll use local time. Okay. My local date, I should say. Uh, I mean, I should be using UTC. I have, like mm-hmm. we mentioned previously, I do have a UTC clock in my system tray, mm-hmm. menu bar, whatever Mac os called it. But no, I, I just use local time, man. I just look at the calendar. I look at my watch. I plug it in. I actually have a, uh, I, I put in the, uh, oh, man, I'm in trouble today the Alfred, I put in the Alfred shortcut. Oh, nice. Yeah. I copied your thing. And I do, I have one for dashes. Cause some of them use dashes for the date. Some of them use dots. So
1: neat. Yeah. It's handy. Isn't it? The fact that you can just format time strings, uh, and, and just slap three keys and it, it's there. You don't have to think about it.
0: You just slap chop those keys.
1: It chops to lap the keys up and then the date time stamp is there. It's nice. Uh, yeah, we we use UTC and uh, Paul scolded me one time when I didn't do that. So, <laughs> and then one time I think I, I made a release and I, the branch it was tagged on the develop branch instead of master and he screenshotted it and sent it to me. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, sorry. It's funny. He keeps me on my toes, which is which is good. But tag shaming you. Right, right. What were we talking about? Uh, successful release.
0: Yeah, just wrapping up. It, it's been a long day, uh, a roller coaster of emotions. Getting it launched, dealing with the feedback, uh, deploying fixes as quickly as they can as I can deal with them and they come in, which is great. Uh, everything went smoothly. I'm going to, you know, just have to keep dealing with this. I actually specifically launched this today because like I knew I'm going to be around the rest of this week and this weekend. I'm not going anywhere. I can deal with issues as they come up. You know, I had to wait until like I had a chunk of time where I was going to be local and available. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah. that's, uh, that factors into it. Um, you know it's not without its hiccups it's not without upsetting some people but you know time marches on and in the end it'll be better it's just just growing pains I guess so I'm excited to have this this platform moving forward and and uh, yeah maybe maybe in a couple days when things settle down and uh, I can actually start working on cool cool new stuff that it'll start to become apparent how how awesome, this new
1: system is going to be. Right. Uh, so have you tried out uh, Netlify Dev yet?
0: Right. So this is, <laughs> this is kind of tangentially related. I saw it. I have not tried it. I have not tried it. This is this is new, right? This just came out like this
1: week? Uh, I think so. I think it's pretty, pretty new. It's still in beta. It's got that fancy beta tag like Gmail had for a decade. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it seems really cool. I haven't tried it out myself either. I just installed it and it took... I lost track. I took like more than ten minutes to install in a six-core MacBook Pro. Oh boy, is it like a Docker thing? No, no, I don't think so. It was just just npm was just scrolling for ages and uh, installed thirteen hundred and fifty-eight packages by six hundred and twenty-nine contributors. Yeah, it had a lot of code to copy down. I guess a lot of post-install hooks to run, Uh, but it seems nice. It. It kind of reminds me of, well, I guess like first, like Netlify dev, they're they're basically saying, (laughs) uh, they're basically releasing their platform so you can run it locally. So that way you can test your stuff as if it were running on Netlify, as if it were built on Netlify, um, which is great. They also kind of did some, it seems like some reorganizing of like their focus or offerings into three different categories. Right. So there's like the dev section, uh, the build section, which is, you know, what, what they do on their side and then what they call the edge, which is sort of like a CDN thing, but more, which I haven't really dug into, but, uh, I have to say, like the design of the new site is awesome. Whoever did these illustrations did a great job.
0: Netlify edge just sounds like a jamstack kind of buzzword right. thing, huh? A new,
1: a new type of application delivery network, custom designed for blazing fast sites and modern workflows, uh, hashtag buzz. <laughs>
0: Where's my bingo card?
1: Yeah, it just seems like an automatic kind of CDN, and they they stash your stuff. Since they're controlling everything, they kind of can be smart about how they put your stuff out there. I guess that's to me that's like on the can. That's what it reads. You
0: got to be like really at scale for this to make sense. That's what it sounds like.
1: Or you can just let them do it and not be at scale at all and have it be done. Oh, <laughs> I know, just, I can do that, maybe just that's the that offering. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. So like the dev stuff just allows you to run their 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 tools locally, so you can get closer to the hardware that you're closer to the metal, I guess you could say like closer to the hardware that your actual stuff's going to be running on. Uh, and it seems neat. And it reminds me a lot of, um, uh, Heroku local, I think it was called. Uh, I used to use that before we started adding more dependencies to design collective, but it's basically the same thing. So like with Heroku, you have your different dependencies, whether it's Postgres and Redis, and it's kind of akin to a darker file, but it's specific to Heroku. So, um, you set up your, I can't remember if it's... I think it actually just reads your proc file and stuff. And anyway, so you just run Heroku, Heroku local and it spins up everything you need for your, your web service locally. And I assume that's just inside of a Docker container of some sort that they control. Um, but it makes the basically the Heroku config and different functions work uh, locally. So it's, it's almost as if you're running your app as if it were on a Heroku app online.
0: So they also have Netlify Live... A hosted service that continuously runs your dev command just like you do locally watching for changes. So let me That's wild. So let me so let me see if I understand this. So they took Netlify, the web service, they made a local version of it called Netlify Dev, and then they host it using something called Netlify Live. Isn't that just the same thing? Why don't I just push to a, a dev version of my of my application at that point? Because you don't have to push. No, it says a hosted service that continually runs your dev command what is it just like a like an ngrok tunnel is that what they're saying it is I, I assume so i guess what you're you're just taking the push out of the equation i don't know uh yeah. i mean for for my application where i'm just running nux locally and i just have ngrok tunnel uh that's all i need like it just does everything already I guess if you're using the entire, if you're all in on Netlify with with forms and the serverless yeah. uh, functions and stuff, that's where this has value. If you've built your entire business off of that's a good point, off of Netlify, uh, but like you, most people already. If you're just doing the, the the statically generated stuff, like, don't you already have a have a local dev server?
1: Maybe, maybe not. I don't. I I don't know. Who's to say?
0: I mean, I, I'm all for. I'm also all for like make your dev environment as similar as possible to the actual production environment. Like, that's a step towards that, for sure.
1: Yeah, I get what you're saying. Though, no, like, if you're all in, this makes a lot of sense because it's easier to test stuff. Uh, one big question I had, and I haven't tried this out. I need to. Um, we use Netlify CMS for something. Uh, basically, just one thing in Design Collective uses Netlify CMS. And that, that was interesting because you couldn't run LFI CMS locally. So if you were making a change to the CMS, you'd have to deploy it every time. And granted, you could deploy it to a test app. So you're not deploying to your production app, but it was still that whole step where you have to actually deploy it, wait for it to build, wait for wait for it to update, and then try it out again. Um, so, I mean, just a, a more, like a faster feedback loop, I guess, is what that gives you, which is nice. Again, I haven't tried an LFI CMS. I assume it would work because it's just part of, uh, part of their stack and that's what they're kind of advertising here, but that seems like it could be useful there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I d- definitely will improve the the workflow there, but it seems like people would already have that workflow in place, I guess, but sure. but maybe not. And maybe this will help things go forward. So this is, uh, yeah, this is really cool. I don't know if I'm going to have an even excuse to, to play with it or try it, but I dig it. I dig it. I like that they're adding more things. Like Netlify is one of those services that like you could just let it sit and just maintain it. And it would still continue to be awesome, right? Mm-hmm. But they're yeah. just they're just adding all kinds of kinds of cool tools and reaching out and expanding. So that's cool.
1: Yeah, all of the the other stuff that it has to a well, WASM engine? Wasm edge logic engine. Powerful edge logic engine and WebAssembly so you can locally test all the same rules. Yeah, so it's really like everything they do is just you could test it locally. That's crazy. So that means I can just start my own uh, Netlify <laughs> competitor
0: using their <laughs> Using their dev server, possibly just to make my own SAS.
1: the The functions thing is very interesting to me too. The lambda functions, uh, and it's neat that if you again, like you said, if you were all in and you were using forms and lambda functions, that it just runs uh, locally too. But that's that's neat. It's interest. It's an interesting way to think. Uh, so I'd, uh, I'd ask you that question, like, what would you do if you're building a Greenfield app? It was a couple weeks ago, maybe last week, I don't remember now. Um, I'd ask Paul the same thing, and his answer was pretty interesting. And it was something along the lines of uh, something like Postgres file or Graphile, I guess it's called now, um, and Lambda functions for custom stuff. That would be like as bare bones as you could get it. <laughs> Uh, And it was interesting to think about building an app that way because it's very, very different than using Rails or Phoenix or whatever framework to to control every aspect of the app. But uh, yeah, Netlify Dev seems seems interesting for sure. I might try to give it a try next time I work on the DNC site, which should be hopefully soon because there's some things I need to do. I
0: don't know what it is about Netlify. I think it's maybe just the fact that I don't really know anyone who uses it. Like you're the only person who told me about it. I found about it through you. Uh, You're the only one who you know, who actively works on it. But like, so I get this feeling that like they're this small, like indie, like hidden gem of the web, but no, that's not true at all. Like they're gigantic. Everyone uses them now. It seems like I see them all over the place. Yeah. Which is great.
1: Yeah. They're, I'm pulling up the crunch base right now. Oh boy. Uh, 41, 44.1 million in, in fundraising they've got.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like they're not, (laughs) not this small shop that I have in my head.
1: Right. Yeah, it's interesting. They started. Yeah, it's interesting. They've been around for a while since twenty sixteen. Well, a while being three years, um, but I guess that is a while in in the tech world. But yeah, they seem. I don't know. Like I, I, I would definitely use them. The Jamstack stuff sounds interesting. Like if I didn't have a service that was super dy- dynamic. In and, and by dynamic, I mean uh, content that changes based off of the user and the type of user that's looking at it and all this different stuff. I think like getting it as close as you can to a Jamstack type of thing makes, makes a lot of sense.
0: Or even just going, making one piece of your application, just entirely architected that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to think about. I, 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 I've often thought about doing more things like that with design collective, but just haven't had time to really slap shop things up like that. Like put things into buckets like this could be you know removed from the phoenix world side of things or the, the actually not even really it would be the front end client side of things uh but then like i have to figure out routing how that would play uh yeah just just i don't know it's just different problems right like the 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 jam sack thing things being <laughs> slap shop things being um <laughs> static you know what i mean like that just i don't know it solves some problems it adds more problems it's just like just like everything i guess
0: this week's episode of dnc is sponsored by Vince and the slap chop
1: I have only seen I've only seen that video once so it's very fuzzy to me I just think it's funny to say slap chop or chop slap to Paul because he laughs every time <laughs> uh, so I've been using slap chop a lot have you ever actually owned a slap chop I have not I me mean, neither is it like a like an onion dicer is that what it
0: is <laughs> no it's it's like a... how do I describe it I mean they show it in the com- in the commercial
1: yeah we'll just add a link to the show notes I don't remember anything about it.
0: We'd like to take a quick break and thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week's episode. DigitalOcean is just the simplest cloud platform to run your applications on, and you can effortlessly scale them as your business grows. From the powerful administration dashboard to robust solutions for compute, storage, and networking, DigitalOcean provides an all-in-one cloud platform to help you save time and money scaling your applications. Every DigitalOcean service has predictable, affordable pricing, so you don't have to worry about complex pricing structures that can lead to nasty surprises at the end of the month. You'll always know exactly what your business will pay for DigitalOcean's industry-leading price performance services in their data centers all over the globe. For example, DigitalOcean Droplets. They're quick to provision, and you'll have a virtual machine running in just seconds. And they scale the applications of any size. You can provision one droplet or hundreds. They offer managed database hosting as well and Spaces, which is an S3-compatible object storage solution with very competitive pricing. So if you're thinking about giving them a try, well, we're here to help. You can get started today with a free $100 credit at do.co slash does not. Again, you'll have a real VPS running in just seconds. That's do.co slash does not for $100 credit towards any flexible and scalable hosting solution for your next application.
1: Yeah, I did want to say uh, a quick shout out to a friend of the show, uh, Brian, and uh he we had a, a nice call this morning, just like a virtual coffee. I had messaged him yesterday and said, "Hey, would you want to get a virtual coffee?" and he said, "How about tomorrow?" and I said, "Let's do it." So, had a had a nice uh talk about ecto and and we talked about <laughs> just normal coffee uh,
0: date things. <laughs>
1: Yeah, normal things, profiling, memory, usage, in Um uh, We talked about, yeah, just, just different things like that. But yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation. And uh, I learned a couple of things. And so basically I described, and I think I've mentioned it here, but we've been having like intermittent RAM spikes in, at Design Collective overnight when our inventory team is working on things. And I've been having a hard time tracking it down. And so I'm just trying out different stuff. Like I'm trying, I've been using Scout APM for a little bit now. Uh, but the different APMs I've tried don't really seem to report memory in the same memory usage in the same way that they did when I was using rails or something similar. And when I ask about it, the answer is always, it's complicated. Uh, the beam makes it complicated. How beam uses memory and how beam, uh, garbage collects memory and stuff like that. So I've never really got a straight answer as to why, when the RAM usage goes up, why doesn't it tick up in the graph here? Uh, it's always just it's complicated, but he provided me with some interesting solutions. I think one was called uh, Recon. The tool is called Recon, and so you could. Uh, I think he was mentioning how they used it on a project to instrument their controllers, so that way it could report actually how much RAM each controller is using up on a request cycle.
0: Yeah, I think Recon it is a third party library, but mm-hmm. it um, a lot of things depend on that. Like I think I mentioned Observer CLI previously on the show that. Is built on top of Recon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I actually found out about it. Okay, was was Observer CLI. I remember, I remember that was the dependency that it added. One of the only dependencies that it added to the tree when I added uh, Observer CLI, which does work on Heroku, by the way. It's pretty cool. Um, and the other thing I added was uh, Grafana. Uh, so, Ooh, Grafana, yeah, Grafana. So Heroku has, you know, it has its own resource graphs, so it'll show you. Uh, it'll show you response times, it'll show you a RAM usage, it'll show you um, uh, how many requests you have per second, the CPU load. But it's not even like, it's also weird. It's a little bit different because it's a virtual, you're sharing it. So they don't give you a CPU load in percentage because they don't bill based off a of CPU usage. So it's like just a, just a number, one through five or higher, depending on what the usage is. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm using Grafana. So Heroku... Uh, I believe the resolution they give you is is uh, every one minute the stats are reported within the last two hours, and I believe after two hours it's every ten minutes, so you have a ten minute shelf. And if you're looking at a RAM spike usage, I can isolate. Okay, I can say like, hey, yeah, this RAM spike between eleven ten and eleven twenty. But when I go and search my application logs between eleven ten and eleven twenty, there's thousands of requests. So it's 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 literally finding a needle in the haystack, right? And even then, you know, there's a lot of requests that are the same. So you have to you have to, you basically, it's, it's, it's hard to like pin anything down. It can, it might point you in a direction, but it won't give you any con anything concrete to look at. Right. Uh, so I set up Grafana and I think, I believe Grafana is giving me a one minute resolution, um, as far back as it'll keep track. And I think what we're paying for is like seven days. So, uh, I guess theoretically that reduces the amount of logs I have to look through by nine times.
0: And you're, uh, hosting your own. Grafana instance
1: no we I'm just using a Heroku add-on because oh, okay so, so I started you are I started looking yourself. into yeah I started looking into hosting my own uh, DigitalOcean has a one-click installer and uh, there's also a doku uh, set up for it as well and we use we have we have a couple of servers running uh, things services for design collective in production on doku actually and uh, I looked into it and grafana seems to be just the kind of the querying interface so you need to set up a data store for it And, uh, at that point I was like, oh, it's, my work is doubling. I don't want to do that. So I figured I'll just pay a little bit of money and save the time.
0: That's cool. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the way to do it. Honestly, we use, uh, we just use Grafana's own hosted, uh, service, whatever for, Oh,
1: I did not know. Is it just Grafana.com?
0: Uh, sure.
1: It's Grafana.com slash Grafana. Right. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> Grafana, Grafana.Grafana. No, it's, uh, yeah, we use that and we, we pull all our data from, it's kind of roundabout because everything's in AWS, so we pull server stats from CloudWatch, which is their, like, you know, stats monitoring thing. But then we also, you can also put ra- uh, custom stuff into CloudWatch. Mm-hmm. So I have a AWS client that's shoving stats into CloudWatch that then we pull down with Grafana. And that actually works decently well, so... Uh, Grafana, Grafana is amazing. Grafana is amazing. Like I get to just spend weeks on just (laughs) playing with those, those graphs and the, the ways you can organize them and interpret the data and everything.
1: Yeah. It, uh, I didn't really know. I knew. So obviously I'd, I'd been to the site before and I was like, oh, there's lots of charts. It's awesome. Uh, I could look at so much data, but I didn't really necessarily have a plan for the data I was going to look at. (laughs) I just wanted data to look at, uh, and so I set it up and then I realized it's actually kind of, uh, what's the other tool we use? We use the thing for our database analytics and graphs. It is called Metabase. Uh, so it feels like a lot like Metabase for the server or for, for, uh, system resources, I guess, or really anything you can, like you said, you throw a lot of custom events in it. Uh, there are a lot of add-ons like uh, century add-on, so it can basically annotate the graphs like you're looking at a time series graph of RAM usage and then it can annotate that with a century error report or something like that. Or you could have it annotate your graphs with like Heroku releases or any a bunch of stuff. Right. Uh, which is, which is pretty neat. So I've always just been getting by with the Heroku graphs and they're mostly okay for what I need to know, but there's, yeah, Grafana seems really interesting and coolest. In this case, I'm hoping that it helps me because it'll help me get closer to the problematic areas that are happening. Uh, without having to sink a ton of time and trying to like design this data viz stuff for myself.
0: Yeah, you could even do cool stuff like providing your own custom metrics, like to try to correlate what's happening on the CPU with like how many new products were created in the past hour or how many, how much money did we take in revenue and orders during this period, stuff mm-hmm. like that, right?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. It, it kind of like crosses streams with Metabase a little bit because we do a lot of, we don't do like... Metabase doesn't know anything about the server resources, but it does know about the database that it's connected to, and it sort of introspects the database that you hook up to it. And so it's what's really interesting is that, say, if you have an orders table, uh, they have some heuristics to identify, uh, like, what's the total column, you know, do other line items. And so it kind of basically builds a dashboard for you based off of what it thinks might be useful information for you, which was kind of neat. Uh, so it's kind of crossing streams. I didn't know that you could necessarily, or I didn't really think about like sending non-system or non-like performance related information to Grafana, but it makes sense.
0: Yeah. I kind of wish I had a, <laughs> like a war room or something where I could have a, you know, at a business of more than one person <laughs> where you could have like a, <laughs> like a, a monitor or a TV with a Grafana dashboard. Do they have a, uh, like a slideshow mode? So it'll constantly cycle through stats. Oh, really? And so I. It would be cool to actually. You know what? It's funny. I have my old TV here, just sitting on the floor. I could probably just hook that up to a, a Raspberry Pi and uh, have it display stats on a on a loop.
1: Yeah, I thought about uh, stealing stealing uh, Jamie's iPad and using that when she leaves it here. Oh, but that's good. No, like that's a good a idea. I need to, I don't need to see that stuff. I have alerts set up. You know, it's just it's kind of distracting, actually. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at my graph right now. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting tool. It, it's, it's fun. So that's really been, been my, between like looking at, looking at the usage graphs and trying to correlate that back to application logs to see what was happening um, between that and, and and the 10 minute res- resolution, what it helped me do was I looked at kind of the bulk of what was happening. Then I, then I opened up observer locally and just did those things locally, and to see what would cause a RAM jump. And I found a couple of things, but those couple of things, uh, they didn't seem like they would cause. So our RAM usage would go from like, two on average in production. Our RAM is is using. Be- around around 180 megabytes uh, the production app
0: is (laughs) sorry it's just an insanely small number like people are probably laughing like why why are you even bothering with this
1: well here's the thing so whatever's happening it goes from 180 megabytes to one gigabyte
0: oh okay yeah
1: and and so that's obviously an issue it sounds like a serialization thing like somebody's getting serialized and it's getting held it's not getting let go and collected Uh, i just haven't found what it is yet it's probably something really dumb (laughs) i just haven't found it um yeah. So it uses 180 megabytes on average, jumps up. And what Heroku does is, uh, so the beam doesn't ever run out of memory. It doesn't crash. So I don't have a stack trace or anything like that. What happens is Heroku will just let it go. And once you, I think you use double your allocated RAM, they'll just restart your dyno for you. <laughs> What's your allocation? Uh, 500 megabytes. So it just
0: forcefully kills it.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So it'll start back up. And, uh, then if it goes up again, it'll just happen. It'll just do it again. So, so it's like automated. What if there's like an active request? Like what if I'm in the middle of loading content on a page
0: and Heroku's like kills it? You oh, know, I just, that request is just no good.
1: Yep. It just stops. It just, just stops in his tracks. That's great. But yeah, so it never happens during the day when people are shopping. It only happens overnight when we have our inventory team working on stuff. So it helps me isolate it into like a section of really like that area of the application is the oldest and it was the first to be ported over from Rails. And uh, it's, yeah, it's like a house that's been left alone for a while. Needs a good pressure washing. (laughs) Uh, So I'm getting, I'm getting to it, but yeah, so, so I'm wanting to jump into using recon and starting to intr- instrument stuff myself a little bit more uh, thoughtfully as opposed to just like throwing a you know throwing generic stats at a wall by plugging in an APM. And Scout's been doing good. It's been doing well. I mean, it shows me like, you know, problematic queries or queries that are slow. So I think queries that are over 150 milliseconds, it'll automatically put them on the main dashboard in a slow query list. A wall of shame. So yeah. So on a Friday, 150 milliseconds is uh, it sounds like a lot, but even still like in the grand scheme of, a you know, like a request reply cycle, it's not a ton of time. Um, but anyway, yeah, you go to the dashboard and on a Friday I say, what's the smallest or what's the slowest one? And I'll just fix that one. And then wait for the next week, the next week, one, another one will pop up and I just fix that. Um, and then pretty soon you don't have any queries that are taking more than 150 milliseconds anymore. So that's one thing I've been doing to work on performance stuff, but yeah, uh, I've been using... Observer, uh, I feel pretty pretty proud to, to say I've been using Observer a lot because you told me, I think it wasn't even that long ago, you're like, oh, have you tried Observer? And it's like, I've only read about it, I've never tried it, and you kind of encouraged me to do that. So that's actually been helping me quite a bit.
0: That's great. Observer is so cool because it's just uh, one of those tools that uh, exists because the, the you know, ecosystem, not ecosystem, because the the tools allow it to exist, you know, mm-hmm. you can actually introspect it in real time. And that's, I, I've definitely... Miss having a tool like that when I go like to Rails or something, to actually be able to see exactly what the heck is going on mm-hmm. in my application. And just, there's the process of or the concept of, of processes and gen servers in general. I uh, I find that I miss that. It's 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 comfortable and warm yeah. and embracing at this point. And now <laughs> it's like without having that, it's like. Wh- you feel you feel kind of lost. I don't know.
1: Yeah, there's. I think there's a balance there, and that's one thing that, that Brian was saying today. Uh, sometimes embracing like the the ethos of OTP and Yearling and Elixir, like let it fail, like that works okay. And then till it doesn't, and then you run into problems. <laughs> uh, right. I, I think there's like a sweet spot in 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 kind of embracing embracing both both of those sides. And I'm trying to. I was reading was it a podcast I was listening to? Oh, it was a podcast I was listening to. Uh, I'll have to remember which episode it was. I'll link it in the show notes, but, um, they were talking about how I think it was a podcast where a couple, or at least one of the people, the host works for frame.io and they do a lot of real time video processing. And, uh, they do a lot of real time stuff and so they use they use elixir there and he was saying that phoenix is is a great kind of middle ground because it doesn't require you to really embrace like processes all the way down and gen servers all the way down he was like you can build a really nice phoenix app like you're building a rails app and still reap a lot of the benefits just because you're on the beam and because you're using elixir and he says well that's you know it's boring because a lot of people come over to elixir because they read about the processes and the gen servers and all this stuff. But it was kind of an affirmation to me when he was kind of saying, you know, it's probably smarter than, you know, to go too, down, too far down the rabbit hole, just build it like a, like a plain Rails app, like you would a Rails app and sprinkle an OTP where you need it, when you need it.
0: I think that is a totally viable and uh, probably recommended way to deal with things. I mean, that's certainly how I've, I've approached my projects.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. It was, that's what I'm trying to do with Design Collective. <laughs> <laughs> i really trying. We're trying to minimize dependencies. We're trying to minimize the amount of plugins that we add. Uh, a case in point this week was uh, we're kind of just waiting for the Elasticsearch Elasticsearch Elis- Elixir library to be rewritten uh, because I I might have explained this in the past, but some of the bulk APIs aren't exposed, so we don't, we can't access them. And it's currently being rewritten, so if those are going to be exposed uh, you know, one of the benefits of having uh, a young ecosystem, I suppose. And, uh, so in the meantime, we upgraded a lot of our dependencies and one of those dependencies was Ecto3 that we upgraded to. And, uh, Ecto3 doesn't support preloads with stream. and I'll link, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. So like exactly why that's happening. Um, but basically results could vary or results weren't, um, Deterministic. Is so, so if you're using repos. Stream and and preload at the same time, you might get different results depending on who knows, depending on the execution of the stream. So, um, they basically just deprecated it and removed it in Ecto three. <laughs> and we were using Ecto. Stream in our uh, we were do- using preloads with uh, with repo. Stream in our uh, bulk indexing of functionality. Oh so yeah to, yeah yeah yeah. So we had to end up rewriting that and the issue, which i also link recommends using a cursor based pagination library, uh, basically just exposing, uh, offset and limit for that. And so we started using the library that was recommended, but for some reason we were getting infinite. It was just infinitely running. So, uh, it, it uses recursion. So you pass it a start function and you pass it a next and you pass it a cleanup, right? And the next function would never finish. Uh, it would just keep running. And, uh, Paul looked at it. I looked at it. We both tried rewriting it. Still, just infinite loop. And what's funnily enough for this show, Kevin, we were, he was DMing me on Twitter, and he was like, "You know what? I know it because he's actually doing exactly the same thing right now." And he's like, "I noticed the same thing. It's doing an infinite loop." Uh, and and so, I mean, we you know, Paul lost like three quarters of a day to this thing. We were just banging our heads on the wall, and he, and uh, turns out that with ecto three, there's an update. Let me find this. Uh, there's an update where Ecto.Query now supports tuples in where and having. Uh, so, so basically, you can with nothing more than Ecto build your own uh, cursor-based pagination. Again, being offset and limit uh, pretty easily. So, after figuring that out, we had a working solution, less one dependency. In I don't know, 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: Dude, jo- Jose is a a machine. He's so hyper focused. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
0: Churning out the productive, uh, the libraries that are so useful. I don't, I don't get it, man. I'm not like that. He's so great.
1: Yeah, it seems like the whole, the whole kind of Elixir core team, the whole ecosystem, the people that are really in there are just they're killing it. You know, uh, the Absinthe guys, Bruce and Ben. Um, absent is one of my favorite things. So uh, maybe we can talk about this next week, but, uh, I spent a weekend on a rails app and using Ruby, uh, GraphQL and all that. And the whole time I just found myself wanting to use Absinthe instead.
0: <laughs> it's that good. It really is that good. It's like the, the killer app, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's super, it's super good. So, uh, there's, so in building this music app that I've been working on, I've actually, <sighs> I, I'll, I'll be refactoring a bunch of stuff in design collective based off of patterns that I've kind of figured out with this other app and uh, it makes me feel really good. But yeah, I, I spent a weekend on rails and yeah, I got some stuff done, but I just came, I didn't come, I don't want to say I came crawling back to elixir. I came like skipping and jumping back, uh, I suppose. And not because I disliked rails, but because I liked elixir and Phoenix so much more. I think that was, I think that's an important distinction. Like it's, I don't dislike rails. I can be productive in it, but I just like Phoenix and, and Elixir and absence more. So yeah, we can, maybe we can dig into more I can write up some points maybe and talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, that would be interesting. Cause I, uh, hopefully next week I'll have some more time to hack on, uh, my rails, uh, new rails project that I've been working on as well. And I've, I think I'm going at it from a different direction as you. And I definitely have some different thoughts. And feelings. Sure, sure.
1: We'll talk we'll talk about our feelings. That could be fun. Battle we can battle it out. Oh man. Can battle it out. Well, uh, I guess I, mean, I think that's all I had this this week. Uh, so
0: I'm sitting here listening to you watch the watching the tickets come streaming in. Here's one. Oh no. Not liking the new console. How do I edit my macros for CW? Can I type direct CW message? Uh <laughs> Uh, first one, okay, whatever. Uh, how th- how do I edit my macros? Like this is a. <sighs> Basically, there's these buttons on the console, and you just click them. Like there's pre-recorded messages, and you can just basically type them and play them back for Morse code, uh, CW Morse code, same thing. And uh, yeah, every single person is like, "How do I edit my macros? How do I edit my macros? How do I edit my macros?" So, man, I need to add like a button, <laughs> like an edit macros <laughs> button. Like I, right. I obviously it's buried like one level too deep. Oh, it's so frustrating, man. It's so frustrating. Cause it's like so close. And when everyone is having this issue, like clearly I did something wrong.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a good uh, part of getting it out there is that you can, you can riff on it. And that's a part of, you know, that's a good part of the tool, the tooling that you have now is it makes it much easier for you to do that. You know, it's akin to you switching to rails cause you can get in, get, get it done and get out. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. hundred percent.
1: Well, maybe I should let you do that. Cause I'm getting, I'm getting real hungry here.
0: All right. Go take care of that.
1: But uh, yeah, as always, if anyone has any feedback uh, about anything we had to say, anything I had to say, uh, if anyone has any insight on profiling earling memory usage, please let me know. (laughs) Please. I'm begging all of you. And uh, aside from that, we appreciate any shares and uh, tweets and rates on iTunes. We appreciate all of that. It helps us out. It helps get the word out about the show. Uh, So, you know, just keep keep it up.
0: As always, you can reach us at Twitter at DNC show at Sean Washbot is Sean and I am at Shrockwell.
1: And uh, all the show notes will be available at DNC.show. So I mentioned a number of links today. I'll put I'll definitely make sure to put those in there. And uh, if you if, if anyone hears anything that I forgot to put in the show notes, just feel free to tweet at us and, and I can add it promptly.
0: And if anyone doesn't know what a Slap Chop is. Definitely go
1: check that out. Slap job.
0: We got uh, some good feedback over on our Spectrum Debt Chat channel last week's episode. So definitely come by and uh, talk at us over there. We'll post the show notes. Have any discussions you want about the
1: show. If you're looking for a new job, spec.fm has you covered at spec.fm slash jobs. There are a few open jobs there. Uh, so you should definitely go check that out if you're looking for a new gig. And as always, thanks to Spec for having us. And uh, if you're interested in other design and developer-related shows, you should definitely head on over to spec.fm and uh, see what they've got to offer there.
0: This week's episode of Does Not Compute was edited by Mikhail Delport and produced by Sarah Jackson.
1: Well, uh, good luck, and uh, don't forget to get some sleep. (sighs) I'll
0: get some more sleep. (laughs) I'll work in between the sleep. How does that sound? As long
1: as you do more sleeping than working mm. until tomorrow. I think that's probably the best the best choice. No promises. See you, man. All right. See ya.
0: Thanks again to Century.io for sponsoring Does Not Compute. Don't wait for an error report from your user to act on it. Iterate faster, improve your customer's happiness, and make a better product with Century's comprehensive error reporting platform. Check them out at Century.io. And of course, thanks also to DigitalOcean. They really are the easiest cloud platform to run and scale your applications. Visit do.co slash does not to sign up and receive a free $100 credit towards your next application.